VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, and if you're listening, I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. I have several guests coming up in this hour, lots to talk about. My first guests are founders of Urgent Care in New York City on the Upper West Side, Dr. Neil Shipley and Dr. Mark Melrose. We're going to be talking about, do you know when to go to the emergency room? I can tell you right now, I don't. I can't tell the difference between 9-11, the emergency room, or my primary care physician. So they're going to set us straight on that one. Next guest is Marianne Schnall, writer, interviewer, and founder of the women's website, Feminist.com. She publishes in Oprah Magazine, InStyle, The Huffington Post, and her new book is Daring to Be Ourselves, Influential Women Share Insights on Courage, Happiness, and Finding Your Own Voice, which I think I've already done. Dr. Miller and Dr. Lavera Wolf-Miller, who are a husband and wife team, just published a book, Womenopause, Stop Pausing and Start Living, womenopause.com. And according to this husband and wife team, even today in our very, what we consider, hip world, menopause still bears a stigma, and women are still whispering about menopause, afraid that perhaps it's contagious. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that uh, in the uh, second half hour. But right now we have our two doctors, Dr. Neil Shipley and Dr. Mark Melrose. Dr. Melrose is a practiced emergency medicine for more than 20 years, named one of the area's best emergency physicians by New Jersey Monthly Magazine. Dr. Neil Shipley, he's been an emergency physician for more than 17 years, board certified in emergency medicine and internal medicine. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Nice to have you on this morning. Good morning. Thank you. Great to have you. Okay. Well, I, you know, emergency medicine, when do you go to the emergency room? I Still haven't figured that out. And I raised three boys. I was always running around trying to figure out, do I take them to the emergency room? Do I call the pediatrician? Do I call 911? So you apparently have figured out for us what we should be doing today. Sure. Uh, In general, an emergency. And is this Dr. Melrose? Melrose. So in general, an emergency can be described as any unexpected or unanticipated change to your usual state of health due to uh, an injury or illness. And typically, the difference between an emergency is something that may potentially be uh, uh, of immediate threat to life or limb um, would be an emergency as compared to something that might need more uh, more urgent or less less urgent attention, um, which would be, in general, just an immediate health care need. So, hence, urgentcaremanhattan.com, which is your... For immediate health care needs. For immediate health care needs, okay. Uh, so, give us a typical example, because I always think that that's helpful. You know, you have a kid, high fever, you know... You know so, so emergencies are often described in terms of A, B, Cs, uh, and we'll throw in a D and an E uh, as well. So A stands for airway, B for breathing, C for circulation, 
Uh, D is for uh, disability, and E is for environmental. So if we think in terms of uh, injuries or illnesses that might be immediately threatening to your airway, for instance, such as a child uh, inhaling a small toy, uh, breathing uh, might be an example of that might be pneumonia or asthma. Circulation might be a heart attack or bleeding. Um, disability would be, uh, a, for instance, a stroke uh, or someone who faints or has a seizure. And then environmental would be frostbite, heat stroke, um, things um, that uh, might uh, might spring upon you from from the environment or your surroundings. So. Any, any potential uh, emergency usually is related to one of those alphabetized um, healthcare um, circumstances or situations and um, usually distinguish an, um, the need for emergency care from something that's, um, that's a little less serious. All right. And you've listed very specifically some of the things that are less serious. Um, that I'm sure a lot of the listeners are coming to mind, like and and and, re, and people do. Why should you know you going to the emergency room when you don't need to is also something that's not good in terms of how we utilize our healthcare system, right? So this is really important information because um, going around and sitting in an emergency room when you don't have an emergency also, if you take a child there or an elderly person, exposes you to a lot of uh, illnesses and diseases or contagious kinds of things that are not necessary. That's absolutely correct. This is Dr. Shipley here. So there's, there's lots of reasons that Dr. Melrose was, was talking about that you definitely would want to go to the emergency room for. On the other hand, if you just need your prescription refilled, if you think you have the flu, if you need a tetanus shot, if you want to get your blood pressure checked, these are all reasons you, know, you, you wouldn't want to go to the emergency department for. There are much better places, either your regular primary care physician or an urgent care setting where you, where you can probably get better service without the long waits. So in your urgent care uh, facility, doctors, um, are you open seven days a week, 24 hours a day, or how does that work? We're open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 6 and we generally seek to provide care that's complementary to primary care doctors, uh, internists, and pediatricians. For instance, uh, urgent care practices typically have the availability of x-ray, the ability to repair wounds uh, with stitches, uh, the ability to give IV fluids. These are all things that typically uh, wouldn't be available in, say, a pediatrician's office or your family practice doctor's office. And... Uh, Contrary-wise, we, we generally don't provide ongoing uh, health care uh, for chronic conditions like hypertension, high cholesterol, diabetes, things of that nature. They're best left to being uh, evaluated, treated, and managed by, by somebody's uh, regular doctor. Okay. Well, you mentioned several things that, okay, you don't go if you have a, you know, a, a strep throat or a sore throat or you need a prescription filled. But then the ones that... The examples that you just gave that you uh, provide services for at your urgent care, like okay, so what do you you cut your hand or your child cuts his hand and it's you know nine o'clock at night and urgent care has closed and so then do you go to the emergency room or what do you do? I mean you don't wait till the next day. It may not be you may not be bleeding profusely, but 
how do you handle it? What do you do? Or let's say it's during the day. Do we go to you or do we go to the emergency room? Sure. In a, in a perfect world with unlimited health care resources, and once upon a time ago, the emergency rooms of our country could be everything to everybody. Um, but since resources are limited and um, therefore access to health care is, is necessarily limited, um, urgent care is uh, generally aren't open 24 hours a day because there isn't uh, a need 24 hours a day. Um, it's still okay to go to the emergency room if you need stitches. Um, it's okay to go to the emergency uh, department if you have a bad flu um, during hours of excess capacity, which are typically overnight and, uh, and in the wee hours of the morning. So, um, <clears throat> so what we... Um, what we think uh, best serves the the public in terms of what emergent um, I'm sorry what urgent care practices have to offer uh, are things of uh, a minor emergency nature or immediate health care needs. So, for instance, your and and immediate might be defined by your circumstances. So, let's say you're a busy working mom um, and maybe you have. Um, maybe you have uh, a nanny or home care or you take your kid to daycare and you wake up in the morning and your, your child's sick. The pediatrician says, well, I can fit you in at 2.30 this afternoon, but if you do that, you'll have to miss a day of work. Um, so what, what do you do? Um, to wait in the emergency room for, for instance, in New York City, an average of five hours uh, isn't the best solution for obtaining immediate care. Um, but most urgent care practices um, thrive on the premise that we see patients in a timely and efficient manner uh, and can get you in and out in uh, well under an hour and back to whether it's work or taking care of your kids or you know, whatever um, busy Americans need to do in the course of their, their daily activities. So, Dr. Melrose, Dr. Shipley, uh, what about uh, how? Where are these emergency urgent care facilities? Are they all over the country? Are they just primarily in in New York City or in New York East Coast? Where can we access them? I mean, this is an internet radio station, so we have a lot of people listening in a lot of different places. There are urgent care centers all over the country. Um, most of them, outside of the New York City area, are located in suburban areas, often in like a mall setting where there's a lot of both foot traffic and drive-by traffic, which allows easy access and visibility. Um, in New York City, up until about six months ago, interestingly enough, there were no urgent care practices uh, in retail space um, in Manhattan. And now over the past six months, we think there are now five urgent care practices in the city. So New York City, although often ahead of the curve in, in many areas, is a little bit behind the curve when it comes to urgent care centers. So do you see urgent care centers as a trend for the future? We think so. As uh, healthcare resources become more limited and uh, and people have trouble gaining access, uh, there needs to be a solution uh, to the the growing number of people who will, in theory, now have healthcare insurance. Uh, by some estimates, over a hundred million people um, will um, will have access to healthcare via uh, their new insurance plans. Um, that didn't have healthcare access before. So, where will you know where will people be able to obtain care? Uh, there's already a shortage of primary care doctors, and so we think that um, we think that the growth of urgent care practices, um, which provide 
easy access and are built on the premise of easy access will continue to grow at a pretty steady rate. Uh, and this is supported by uh, data from the Urgent Care Association of America uh, that tracks these things. I think it's a great idea. And as a mother of three boys who are now grown up, I mean, not having access to that urgent care that you're talking about and only to an emergency room. I mean, my boys, three of them, you can imagine, they're fighting and, you know, after dinner and I put them in the rooms and I used to say to them, I'm not going to the emergency room tonight. So whatever happens, we're going to have to deal with it here. That was my threat. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go sit in the emergency room, which I did, as you can imagine, with three guys for the hours that you're talking about. So for me, I can see this is, I mean, this is uh, this is a wonderful. I mean, this is really, I, I think, addresses a lot of needs of mothers and children, and also and also taking care of the elderly as well. Because, uh, um, you know, it, as a person in the yeah, sandwich generation, it's a huge yeah. time saver, and for most people, time is money. Uh, and it's also a less expensive alternative to the emergency department as well. For the most part, uh, urgent care practices, uh, because of reduced overhead and more efficient use of resources. Uh, the charges are anywhere from 20 to 30 percent that of a typical emergency department visit. What's the response of primary care physicians to urgent care? What uh, I think it's mixed. Yeah, mixed how? Um, Both sides it, of the coin. Tell us. Yeah, it's it's mixed. Uh, you know, we again we don't want to compete with primary care doctors and pediatricians in in our neighborhood in Manhattan. We would like to complement and supplement their practices and and refer their own patients back to them. Um, we, you know, we're really looking for, um, for a means of taking care of people's uh, immediate needs. Um, and if you're a busy primary care doctor and, and uh, don't have any uh, extra, extra space in your appointment calendar, um, we're happy to fill in and, uh, and send your patient right back to you. So why wouldn't they? What would be the... Um reasons why primary care physicians would be uncomfortable with you practicing urgent care? Well, not all primary care offices, um, I'm sorry, not all urgent care offices um, do only urgent care. Um, it depends on who's, who's staffing the urgent care practice and what their practice model is. Um, there's, you know, as you can imagine, a lot of crossover in the services that are provided, and um, some urgent care practices also have some, um, you know, some measure of primary care. Um, for people that are um, generally, um, generally healthy and don't have any, any chronic health care conditions that need to be managed, urgent care might be a more efficient means of them obtaining care and, you know, by default sort of make their local urgent care practice their, their primary care doctor as well. I would think that, to me, you know, as a consumer, that if I had access to, to urgent care, that's what would happen to me. So I can see you may be taking some of the business away from the primary care physicians. Because if I can have both as a patient, I can get my urgent care and I can also get my primary care in this one-stop shopping. That's what we're all looking for. We're all so busy. Um, sure. Yeah. Right. The other, the other person um, who often finds an urgent care center very useful is the traveler. Whether you're a tourist or you're on a family vacation or you're in town for business, obviously you don't have a primary care doctor or a physician in your you know, vacation area. Um, and urgent care centers are often uh, the first place that a traveler or a vacation w- person would turn to when they become ill. 
um, on the trip. So we've seen a fair amount of people use us um, with that uh, purpose in mind. So that's an interesting point because I travel a lot, and uh, um, that would definitely be another reason for me personally to use urgent care. So, But what about access to records? Because I've had uh, um, a couple shows, and we've been talking about electronic medical records. Now, if, if you're in an urgent care facility in, you know, Aspen, and I'm out skiing at Aspen, and I break my leg or I, whatever happens to me or I need some kind of help, do you have access electronically to my medical records at my primary care physician, say, here in New York? We, we would not have immediate electronic access to those records um, unless you had them with you in some sort of portable medium. On the other hand, we'd be more than happy to call your primary care doctor and have them either fax the records over with your permission or speak directly to the physician in, in, your off, in their office. Right. So that's kind of traditionally, I guess, what, what's always... You know, it's always what we've always done, or what physicians have always done, right? Um, sure. The the flip side of that, though, is that our records are all of our medical records are maintained electronically: images, X-rays, um, the records of people's visits. So, for instance, if you went back to your doctor and uh, your primary care doctor wanted to know what happened in our office, we can pull that up and and email it um, without uh, without without any difficulty whatsoever. So, um, you know, so the, the portability factor um, is, is definitely there. The access on demand, uh, because there's still no central repository for medical records, is, uh, you know, still something that's, that's in development. Not for us, but just in, in healthcare in general. Just in general, it's a work in progress. I yeah. hope it is. Yeah. Um, UrgentCareManhattan.com is your website? Yes, it is. Yeah, how big a facility is that? Uh, almost three thousand square feet with six exam rooms, an X-ray room, and uh, we actually joke that we don't have a waiting room because there's no waiting, so we have a, a patient lounge. There's no waiting. I, I mean, there's no waiting. That should be your sign outside the door. <laughs> That's True. enough for me. I don't even know what kind of doctor you are, or how good you are. If there's no waiting, I'll be there. Um, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, what should they know? Urgent care. In general, we think that urgent care facilities uh, provide immediate access to, for your health care needs. Uh, they're more often than not in a convenient location. And uh, the, the practice model is for, for almost all urgent care practices, and certainly for us, is to provide superior service. Um, and that includes no waiting, uh, a friendly staff who looks you in the eye, smiles, and engages you rather than shoves a clipboard at you and says, take a seat. Um, and, uh, and we've all had those experiences. So yes. if, well, it's if been great having both of you on the show. I, I learned a lot. I know uh, my listeners have, too. UrgentCareManhattan.com if you want to meet and greet with Dr. Neil Shipley and Dr. Mark Melrose. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Yeah, Thank you so much. Have you. Uh, we're going to take a short break right now, but uh, coming up next is Marianne Schnell. She's an author. She's a writer, founder of the women's website, Feminist.com, publishes an Oprah, mag- Oprah magazine in style in the Huffington Post. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. 
Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voiced America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And joining me this morning is Marianne Schnell, writer, interviewer, and founder of the women's website, Feminist.com. She publishes in Oprah Magazine, as I said before, and in style, and recently did a wonderful article in the Huffington Post. Uh, her new book is called Daring to Be Ourselves, Influential Women Share Insights on Courage, Happiness, and Finding Your Old, Own Voice. Uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I, you do such wonderful work uh, for women. Thank you. Uh, you've in looking at the women that you interviewed in the book, and uh, also not just the book, but you you know on the uh, different shows that you've been on. All of these women, you talk about uh, overcoming adversity, aging, finding balance in life taking care of the earth, all of those kinds of things, all with a woman's perspective. So um, talk to us about the new book. Why, uh, uh, why write the book, and um, who, are the, who are some of these influential women that you, that you interviewed? Well, the book sort of almost, you know, came to be on its own in the sense that um, I knew eventually I'd write a book. I wasn't sure exactly what the angle would be, and then this publisher had contacted me wanting to use a quote from my interview with Melissa Etheridge um, for a collection they were doing, and I went up on the phone with them and said, I've done all these interviews, and there's little jewels of wisdom in, in all of them, and the next thing I knew, they were offering me to do this book, and so it was really sort of fun to go through all the interviews that I've done with people that range from Maya Angelou to Jane Goodall and Jane Fonda and Cameron Diaz and Madeleine Albright and, you know, Gloria Steinem, um, 
all of all of this mix of women from a diversity of perspectives that I've spoken with and, and tried to um, pick out some of my favorite quotes and then see what themes emerged and um, and then even for the the theme for the title of the book being daring to be ourselves which just kept emerging as being kind of very central uh, themes that sort of connected everything that uh, we were talking about this idea of just you know, celebrating and and being who we are, because as women, oftentimes we're we're told that who we are isn't isn't good enough. We have to strive to be something else, and we sometimes are not in touch with our own inner voice. And if we're not in touch with you know who we really are, sometimes that has a lot of impacts on how we you know the choices we make in our lives and maybe uh, what we uh, decide to aspire to in life. And uh, so, to me, that was a, a really central theme and uh, that I wound up being happy to be able to you know, promote through the book. Yeah, and, Marianne, that was my question, because you, you talk about diversity, and these women are so diverse in terms of the life choices that they've made in terms of profession and career, but also in terms of age and background and where mm-hmm. they come from. Mm-hmm. And are you saying like that one of the main themes was that most of these women or many of them, were told you can't, you know, there's always, you can't be who you want to be. You have to do this or you have to do that or all the shoulds. Mm-hmm. Um, and was that a common theme amongst all of these these, these women? Well, I think what was amazing um, in terms of these are such varied women and often very, you know, esteemed women too, it was the, how truthfully they talked about uh, their own stories with me. And so in some cases, they talked about that directly, you know, this this whole idea, like in someone like Jane Fonda, who said she didn't come into her, her true voice or her own power until after her divorce with Ted Turner when she was 60. Um, so in some cases, you know, they would talk specifically about their personal stories. But in a lot of times, um, that theme would emerge when I would say, you know, what advice would you most want to give to a young girl? Or just in terms of, um, you know, Maya Angelou t- would talk a lot about how you can come to know who you are through facing adversity, through going through, t- you know, hard times and really having to call up your courage. So it was definitely threaded through, and I think what, you know, connected all of these women was that they were somehow really in touch with who they truly were. And that doesn't mean necessarily that they were putting themselves on a pedestal. In fact, it was more that they were being honest about, you know, their own vulnerabilities and challenges that we can all kind of relate to and really what sometimes we're up against as women and girls in terms of the forces that would try to, uh, you know, have us not honor who we truly, you know, authentically are. Did you find with any of the, or with, with, with these women that there was one person or in their lives who helped them to be able to take a look at themselves and and find out really who they are so that they could go on and do what all I mean as as you say they're all very successful women in their own right but uh, any one person that stands out in their life who gave them the the encouragement um, to empower themselves well, I do remember, while nobody in specific comes to mind, there was a, a whole uh, spread that, um, I mean, and this is Women's History Month, that was called the Wisdom of Other Generations. And so a lot of the women would talk about, you know, the, how much they'd learned from their their mothers and their grandmothers and, and you know, sort of the, the other um, women in their lives. I mean, to me, that's when I think about... Um, what was most in common, it was probably the sense of, uh, you know, the support of, of, you know, other women or other people that in their lives that would, that had contributed to, um, you know, them feeling like they were being encouraged to, to 
fulfill their potential in life. So, Did any of these women surprise you? Were there any major surprises in one of, any of their stories that you were like, oh, aha, kind of like, oh, my, or kind of a, an aha kind of thing, like uh, you wouldn't have expected it from, you know, this individual? Hmm. Well, you know, I would say, I mean, and what, what's really amazing is that, you know, each one of them sort of, you know, has their specific own story. But, um, you know, I don't know if, if, if you know the uh, comedian Margaret Cho, but, um, you know, she was in this show that she was doing. I think it was called All American Girl, and it was, I, I, I can't think it was on ABC, and it, they wound up telling her that she wasn't being, it was supposed to be a reality show, but that she wasn't being Korean enough or that she wasn't thin enough, and she wound up, you know, having to, um, not only was the show canceled, but she wound up spiraling into having um, eat, an eating disorder that landed her in the hospital, I think, with like liver problems, and she, you know, wound up, uh, you know, having to get off drugs, and but she came out of it, and now it's part of her act, so much stronger from the experience of, you know, having been told all of these things to to find out really uh, how how unacceptable that was that she had sort of fallen under that spell and allowed it to overtake in her life, and so she has some of the, you know, most powerful quotes um, in a spread that we have, you know, about uh, we are beautiful just as we are because she had sort of been through that. It's interesting because, you know, I mean, that's such an important topic, especially for young women. Um, I've done quite a few shows on that. I mean, eating disorders, but eating disorders seem to be on the rise rather than uh, on the decline for whatever reason. And and her experience is is not, is is common uh, with young women today, I think, with this, uh, you know, being who you are means being beautiful and being thin and, um, I think this is the message that still prevails, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I, I myself personally had um, eating disorders when I was growing up as a teenager, as did all of my friends. I had a friend who was bulimic. I had a friend who was anorexic. I myself was on all kinds of crazy diets. I even took laxatives at one point. And when I look back to that time, I realized we just all sort of thought it was normal. Now I have two daughters myself, and so I'm very hyper aware of all these things. And I do see that in my, you know, my, my, one of my older daughters, 13, but I see not with her, but I see with a lot of um, her friends and of that age range already. It's starting earlier and earlier, this whole fixation on how they look and are they thin enough and the clothes that are now meant to be like so super tight that you'd kind of, you know, have to be, you know, a size zero to fit into. So yeah, it's, it's really a dangerous thing that's out there. So, Marriott, have we progressed? I mean, I'm of the generation, I'm the baby boomer generation, mm-hmm. um, and this is what we, you know, fought against. You know, you are who you are, not what you look like or how thin or how skinny, but you're talking about your own daughters. This is, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I keep going back to the same thing. For some reason, it's getting worse. This is not the way to empower women. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it's a huge issue, and someone mm-hmm. like yourself can do something about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think even with the power of, when I look at my girls, they are so much more centered and in tune with themselves than I was, So and, and not as, I think, susceptible to things like eating disorders. So to me, that's progress, but that's constant um, vigilance about making sure that I'm not going around myself, you know, being like, do I look fat or being on noticeable diets and, and that I'm keep reinforcing to them how beautiful they are inside and out. And this is, you know, it, and it's hard to do perfectly, you know, because there's yeah. so many messages in the media. So I, I do think that it is something that has to be, you know, con- you know, we have to be consciously aware of. And I think it has to be an, you know, organized effort with parents, with educators. Um, I mean, that was, I remember even at the school when there was an issue 
issue with possible eating disorders where, um, you know, the school got involved and did, did you know, stuff, talked about it in, in one of their classes, a health class. You know, I mean, I think it's something that takes a unified effort. But I'd like to think that things... Um, while there still is a, it's a situation for for girls, I'd like to think that there's a little bit more awareness of it, and that you know we do have the potential to make change if we you know are just aware of it and, and making sure to instill positive messages in girls. Yeah, and you know uh, you talk about change and you know, getting back to your book because the diversity of women that you interviewed. I mean, from Maya Angelou, who's is she eighty? I'm not sure, but she's. Definitely. She's, yeah, I think even maybe older than that, yeah. Maybe even older than 80, and I think <laughs> she's wonderful. Sure, yeah. uh, but to Natalie Portman, who's 31. Yeah. Um, so there must be, and one, one, one African-American woman, the other one is, is white and, and Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, totally different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see any, because we're talking about progressing, and we've made some, Made some progress in terms of so while we were talking about women and mm-hmm. body image and, and and our. Do you see any difference between Maya Angelou and Natalie Portman? Because that kind of covers mm-hmm. the whole age range. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that what I'm seeing in women of kind of all ages, and you know, I have this perspective both from interviewing them and certainly from running a website like Feminist.com, where we have college students through to you know women of older generations, is that. I think women are sort of coming more into kind of self-awareness, kind of awakening, um, and sometimes that can look a little messy. I mean, I, I, you know, I have a friend who, you know, recently was like, wait a second, you know, I, I'm not sure if I really like my job, and I, I really would, you know, rather be writing. I mean, I think sometimes it can feel like confusion, but I think sometimes it's a good thing for us to start asking questions, whether it's about the messages that are, that are you know, told, told to us through the media or even the messages in our own head that we tell ourselves about ourselves and that maybe contribute to low self-esteem or making us think that we can't achieve things. So to me, I feel like there's a growing self-awareness, there's a growing um, awareness of our potential ourselves to make change for in our own lives and in the world. And I think that connects someone like Natalie Portman to Maya Angelou, who considers herself a teacher. Natalie Portman, who, you know, became involved with this group, Think International as Ambassador of Hope, which promotes micro-lending to empower women in small countries, you know, to start their own businesses, who, you know, I mean, I think are are finding ways to, you know, use their their lives to to do good and to promote good messages and um, who seem to be really kind of, you know, comfortable in their own skin. And I think that is spanning various ages. Well, that sounds, it's a very positive and optimistic outlook. Um, you obviously are doing great work. Uh, we have to say goodbye, but I want to uh, tell listeners that they can go to your website, MarianneSchnell.com, or uh, daringtobeourselves.com, and the title of the book is Daring to Be Ourselves, Influential Women Sharing Insights on Courage, Happiness, and Finding Your Own Voice. Marianne, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was great talking to you. you. Great. Thank you so much. We will be back in a minute. Don't go away. Uh, I have two doctors coming up, uh, husband and wife team, Dr. David Miller and Dr. Lavera Miller, um, and... uh, You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show. I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with a microphone. We'll be back in a minute. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning, Dr. David Miller and his wife, Dr. Lavera Wolf-Miller, authors of Women of Pause. Stop pausing and start living. And you can go to womenopausebook.com for more information. Uh, according to this husband and wife team, uh, even today in our what we consider our hip world, I guess, menopause still bears a stigma. <clears throat> Women are still whispering about menopause. Nobody wants to get it. People think it's contagious. It's not contagious, but apparently... There are 6,000 women who reach menopause every single day in America, so it's a huge topic. And a big transition in a woman's life, also in her husband's life, in her partner's life, in her family's life. So here to talk about this in their new book, Dr. Miller and Dr. Miller, welcome to the show. Thanks for recognizing right off the bat that it's a, uh, a family problem sometimes. Yeah, it's a, definitely a family problem. Um, so let's talk about women. Well, you renamed it menopause, and now you call it womenopause. Why? Maybe it's the obvious, but why womenopause as opposed to menopause? I just wanted to get across the fact that um, women get it, um, men don't, and um, it kind of needs a makeover. So why not give the name a little bit of a makeover? Um, menopause needs a makeover. It's not just hot flashes, but it's also the time where. Um, it coincides with the increase in heart disease and diabetes and dementia and depression and um, vaginal dryness. And I'm waiting for that's enough, I guess. <laughs> well, I can give more, but <laughs> no, that that sounds pretty depressing. Okay, okay so because I know your book is enlightening and it's optimistic, and you go through menopause and you can feel the same at 60 as you did at 40. Although I have to talk to you about that one because I'm not so sure that. That's possible, and given oh. what you've just uh, described as menopause, as womenopause, uh, doesn't sound very exciting. It sounds depressing. It sounds well, like uh, kind of the end. But then you have to is. read our second title, Feeling Fit, Feminine, and Fabulous in Four Weeks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you can feel better at 60 than you did at 40, and our patients tell us that. So it's really true, and you can do it in just four weeks by... Well, one thing, you empower the woman. She can do it. There's a lot of things that she can do with eating, diet, exercise, and vitamins, 
we go through all that, and then they start the program. If they want hormones, they can have them. We do just the body-identical ones, which are the same as our body. In other words, 17-beta-estradiol is the name of our estrogen, so we only use that. Um, and we only use the real progesterone, not the progestogen, and that makes a huge difference. So they can use those or not use them. They don't have to. But in four weeks, regardless, they feel like a new woman. So in other words, you have to, doctor, you're saying, um, you have to go, through, well, if you want to, when you go through menopause and you're facing all of the, the like, issues that you, you could be depression and heart disease and osteoporosis and vaginal dryness and on and on, and even hair loss, that's a big one I think that women don't talk about. Um, I, I don't know if you discuss that in your book or not. But Yes, uh, yes you know, we do. Um, yeah. 50% of women by the age 50 feel uncomfortable with their hair loss already. And, so... Um, Go on. Well, my question is, and you're talking about you know behavioral lifestyle changes, and maybe if you need some medication or pharmaceuticals, that's okay too. I think the real struggle, though, is you know maybe if you your goal is to feel this better at 60 than 40, but you have to really work at it. That's the difference. I think that you know, at 40 you didn't have to work at being 40. You had everything all that worthwhile in life. You do have to work for. Yeah. So and, 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 and it's a true. You know, we take our bodies for granted when we're in our 20s and 30s. Um, and, and that's why menopause is, is sort of a, 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 you know, a second coming for women. It's a time where they, they feel these biological changes. It, it forces them to start paying attention to themselves. And if they do, they really can feel better at 60. And, for instance, exercise in a 20-year-old, yes, it's good for them. But in a 60-year-old... It makes huge difference. It, it, it treats depression more than Prozac. It treats sex. It treats the heart. It treats... It treats insomnia better than Ambien. It treats blood pressure better than uh, a diuretic. So there's a lot yeah, of... And I'm thinking about, you know, my friends who are, I mean, in that, I am in that age group, and I think insomnia is one of the huge problems with menopause. It is. Uh, yeah. And you know, it, it turns out that the, the insomnia of menopause is not really strictly parallel with just the hot flashes or the night sweats at night. There's something about the, the diminished estrogen levels on the brain that disrupts some of the other underlying pathways of the sleep system. So sleep is a very annoying problem. And when people don't sleep right, you know, they, their, their memories don't work right, their energy level's not good, their mood deteriorates. It's, it's really a, a critical uh, part of the the overall health, and it also affects your relationship with your partner because if you can't sleep, then he can't sleep, and you know it creates a, a situation of what do you do about that? Because, yes, yeah. so we have a whole chapter on insomnia, Queen. Yeah, insomnia is really important. I want to ask you this: Are there any advantages going <laughs> through womenopause? Are there any? Is there anything that is positive about it that makes instead of having to work really hard at maintaining your health, mental and physical, um, is there anything that we just automatically gain from going well, through you know, menopause? Surprisingly, sure. more, more women are happier after menopause than they are in their 40s. And I think it's young women that dread menopause, really not so much women who've already passed menopause and are in the, in the upside. If uh, they do something about it, though. Right. Most women don't sail through it without doing the exercise and the diet changes and all these things. Because at, at menopause, you also automatically put weight right on your middle, which is your most dangerous place. And if you don't take care of that, it's going to be a downward. But if you do take care of it, it's the best time of life ever. 
Don't you think, Dr. Millie, women have to acknowledge that they're going through menopause and that I think sometimes the first reaction is kind of struggling to whether it's getting a facelift or buying more makeup or going on a you know a diet that isn't good for you. They kind of trying to hold on to that premenopausal look because they really don't want to admit that they are going through this aging process, and then so they don't approach it in a healthy way. Yes, and, and you know, and that's exactly why we wrote this book to help women have sort of a bigger perspective of because it's not about turning back the clock or getting younger or some nutty thing of my fountain of youth. It's about healthy aging to being the optimal health and uh, happiness that you can be now. And I would say I'm just as happy now or happier than I was when I was 40 because, you know, we we take vacations, we don't go places, we do things, we learn new things. Um, we just started learning the heart, for instance. These are things that are really fun, and you have more time when you don't have your children at your house anymore. Yep. Or you don't have the fear that you're going to have any more children at your house. Yeah. Right, that's true. <laughs> that's probably, I, I think that's one of the big pluses, no more birth control. No, You know, you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to have pregnancies or unwanted pregnancies, and it does free you up, and, and uh, that is one of the pluses. You uh, get to read more. So, you, get to, you get to do a lot more things. What would you say, and I'm going to ask Dr. David Miller, what would you say um, for you as a man, um, how has womanopause affected you um, in terms of your relationship between the two of you? Well, it, it's sort of um, a, a complicated dynamic because I think when when perimenopause hits, you know, it, it may precede the final menstrual period by ten years or more. There's these uh, these huge fluctuations in the estrogen release from the ovaries. And that can really affect both the mental and physical parts of, of a woman. And things kind of become unpredictable. It's a little bit like, you know, the predictable parts that PMS would, would interject into a woman's life and their relationship, you know, every month or so. Then it becomes like that, only more continuous. And it really throws everybody off until we kind of figure out exactly why it's doing that. Yeah. So what was the most difficult thing for you? What was the most difficult thing? I mean, you described well, all of the things. Yeah, everything you know, is off balance. So the hormones is, are off balance and every, so that everything, we're all a bunch of hormones, and when they get chaotic, then we start acting chaotic, yeah. we as women. But in your, as, what, I guess I'm asking you, what advice would you give to men whose wives are going through women of pause? Well, the, the main advice is if a, if a woman is really suffering from the physiological changes of perimenopause and menopause, she ought to go see a, a, a real menopause expert uh, physician to get some professional advice on, you know, what, what lifestyle things she can incorporate now. Because I, I think that's one of the main things that's overlooked is that women think that the only thing they can do to treat hot flashes is to take a hormone, when really weight loss and exercise and, and eating uh, certain kinds of nutritious foods dramatically reduce hot flashes and night sweats all on their own. And I think also a real important factor is if you if you face it together, you go exercise together, you sleep better together, you, you, you do your sleep hygiene, you have sex more often, all these things improve the whole thing and, and it becomes better than ever because you're sharing all this. Yeah, I think that's a very important point and a good one to leave on because we only have about 30 seconds left. But you both have been very informative. Um, Women will pause. Uh, I recommend the book to 
uh, all my listeners, Womenopause, Stop Pausing and Start Living, which is what we've been talking about today. The authors are Dr. David Miller and Dr. Lavera Wolf Miller, and you can go to their website, which is Women of What is You Tell Me the Website? Womenopausebook.com. Book. Yeah, Womenopausebook.com. Um, there's also another website, Womenopauseinteractive.com. Right, and that one you can link from one to the other, so you don't have to remember both. But the the interactive one has the blogs and the podcasts and some things like that on there that are real interesting. Great. Thanks so much, both of you, for being on the show. Very informative. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Have great. A great day. I'm Bye. Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Hope you had a nice morning. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.